Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pixels. My name is Patrick Beja, and we have a lot of things to talk about today. Um, well, let's introduce the guest first. That's the thing to do. Kirk Hamilton, welcome. How's it going? Hello. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. So very quickly before we get into it, and there's a lot of it, uh, you are a former uh, Kotaku. W were you news editor? Right. I was uh, oh, I was so many different editors. I was features okay. editor, and then I was deputy editor, and then for a while I was editor at large. That was the last thing that I was, which just sort of <laughs> meant do whatever you want. So right. I was those three types of editor. And you are a uh, co-host and producer and musician extraordinaire on uh, one of my favorite <laughs> podcasts, Kotaku Split Screen. And you're also a musician extraordinaire everywhere else uh, and podcaster. So thanks for being on. Anything you, yeah, you'd sure. like people to check out? We'll talk about it also at the end of the show. But if you have to define yourself with just <laughs> one thing. I would say my main project right now is a podcast called Strong Songs that I do on my own, which is a sort of music analysis and appreciation show. That's been really fun. I've been doing that for coming up on a year and it's been going well. People seem to like it. And that's easy to find. It's Strong Songs kind of everywhere. I think the website is strongsongspodcast.com. But if you like music, you might like that show. So check it out. <laughs> Very cool. And uh, we're going to be talking about music a little bit more in the context of video games mm. later in the show. Uh, but first, so this show, is bi-monthly uh, is that twice a month it, we do it twice a month uh, so okay. we haven't had a show since <clears throat> the big giant blizzard hearthstone hong kong china controversy started and we're going to be talking about that for a little while we're also going to be talking about the riot 10 year anniversary stream which was kind of crazy for a company like riot which has developed league of mm -hmm. legends and has had only one product for a very long time there was stuff happening on the playstation 5 side stuff happening on fortnite and a bunch of other things and of course games we've been playing um but first When I first contacted you, Kirk, to uh, be on the show, I was like, hey, I know you like Destiny. I'm, you're playing Destiny 2. <laughs> you're going to be playing the expansion. Let's talk about that. It's going to be fun and uh, relaxed. And then <laughs> the world exploded in video games. I feel like that's a very 2019 thing to have happen. Let's talk about mm -hmm. video games. Oh, wait, geopolitics has sort of <laughs> pushed its way into the conversation. Oh, well. So... Things I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard about the uh, basics of the story at least. And I'll summarize the things that happened last week very quickly, and then we'll get into um, what happened towards the very end of the week, so late that it's almost this week. Um, mm -hmm. 
And before I do that, I do have to mention, I think most people listening to this show will know this, but I did work for Blizzard for five years. Um, I was a PR rep at Blizzard Europe. So I have that connection. And I, of course, uh, have multiple talked about Blizzard games in multiple podcasts through our, throughout my 15 years podcasting career. So when I talk about all of this, even though I, of course, try to be as neutral and objective as possible, keep that in the back of your mind. Um, but, all right, so what happened? Um, the quick summary. The, there's a Hearthstone championship that took place uh, in, during one of the matches, the finals. A player called Blitzchung had a um, an interview after the, the he won the game, he became the champion, where he came out with a statement of support for Hong Kong protesters uh, against the uh, oppression that they're uh, feel <laughs> that they are uh, receiving from China. Following that, very quickly and very swiftly, uh, Blizzard um, banned him for a year and took away his earnings from the entire tournament. The reaction to that was very quick and swift as well, with players uh, everywhere rising up um, and... Uh, <sighs> kind of calling for boycotts and uh, calling attention to the issue. Mm -hmm. If there's ever been a uh, strays and effect, this is a poster mm -hmm. story for that. So again, I'm going very quickly. It was kind of the world of video game exploding. Everyone was talking about this and almost only about this. And um, the Blizzard took about three days to respond, which... Having worked in that company and in that context, it doesn't seem that long to me, but everyone is saying, oh, how can Blizzard stay silent for so long? <laughs> um, that was really funny. It's always like when you know how things work, you're like... Right, right, right. But anyway, so they ended up coming out with a statement which um, reduced the ban to six months, uh, also reversed the firing of the co-hosts of the interviewers, the cast shoutcasters, um, to six months. They were supposedly fired and um, giving him back, giving Blitzchung, the player, back his uh, earnings, which amount to about uh, $10,000. Um, and the, the tone of the statement... Uh, well, okay, we'll talk about this in a second, but <laughs> essentially, uh, people seem to be not very satisfied. Of course, you always hear those who speak the loudest, so that might be a factor of that, but I get the impression, and I'm you know, connected into the community, I get the impression that people are not satisfied with the revised uh, penalty still, and there's a lot to say about all of this. So I'll ask you first, I guess, Kirk, um, what are your feelings about this incredibly complex issue? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can sum up my feelings in one sentence. No, just kidding. This is a very complicated, <laughs> a very complicated topic. Every time I've talked about it, I've always wondered how far back the person recapping the story is going to go. Because you could be like, okay, so let's talk about British colonialism. <laughs> and then, you know, go back hundreds of years. And uh, you never know how long it's going to take. Because, you know, this is a thing that goes back as for, like hundreds of years to the creation of Hong Kong and the separation and all of that. And I am not a history expert, um, nor really a geopolitical one. I play video games. But watching this as someone who likes Blizzard games and who is fascinated by video game communities, 
Uh, the thing that is most striking to me is the way that this particular drama is playing out um, in parallel to several other dramas with other major brands across entertainment and technology. So the NBA obviously had this huge blow up with the Houston Rockets manager doing a kind of a similar thing and um, getting in similar trouble with uh, with China almost the same day or maybe the day before the Blizzchung thing happened. Apple has also been running into conflict with China over an app that it published and then pulled and then unpulled and then pulled again. And it's kind of like everyone all at once, at least in America is dealing with the fact that all of these companies have made these compromises with an authoritarian government in China. And then Blizzard is just yet one more example of this. So most of the mentions that I've seen of this, at least in the mainstream news that I read, like in the New York Times or wherever, will it'll just be one of many things listed in part of this broader narrative. So it's interesting to look at on its own terms and also to look at how it fits into this sort of broader, into a broader thing and a broader understanding I think people are getting over what what was actually given up or what was required in terms of compromise to do business with a government like China. Yeah, I think just to, I'll interrupt you for a second to comment on this point specifically. I think this is uh, globally, but because of the things that you've mentioned that have been happening, there's a realization of the price to pay to do business with China that Mm -hmm. For some reason, we haven't really had in that uh, uh, manner before. I think some people will say, oh, I've been talking about this forever. Yeah, I think there definitely have been just, people. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's understandable and it's probably fair. But I also think it's important to understand that over the past you know, 20, 30 years, uh, China has been opening up from a uh, communist country where things were extremely restricted including on the economic side. And mm -hmm. there was a hope, which is not unfounded. It's not like, oh, you were, you know, dreaming some naive dream of, of uh, betterment, that through economic development, things would get better in China. And I think beyond the fact that it's not unfounded, it's actually happened. You know, the, the poverty level has, uh, uh, the, the, right. the income level and, and um, uh, general... Uh, societal well-being level in China has increased. You know, it was a very agrarian. I'm not an expert either, but, you know, they, they have right, right. gone from poverty to somewhat over-developing country. Now they're almost a developed country. So that is not something that can be dismissed. And most of these companies have gone into China in the mid-2000s at a time when there was still this trajectory that was positive and that we were hoping would lead to more and more openness. I think what we're realizing now, um, which is extremely justified, and it's not like, you know, everything was roses and unicorns in, <laughs> in that period, but... Uh, there, there seems to have been a shift with the um, arrival of Xi Jinping, who is now president for life, and the unbearable uh, um, uh, persecution of the Uyghur minority and the yeah. use of technology for Orwellian societies type, you know, cr social credit and things like that. Those happened, I believe, in the past few years, maybe five years. And now mm -hmm. we're realizing that shift. So I think it's some important context to understand all of this. And of course, the question still remains, you know, all these companies are paying the price for access to the giant market. I think someone said some, a, 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 a phrase that I think is super accurate. It might have been Benedict Evans. Um, China is weaponizing its market. 
That's mm-hmm. very true. Um, and of course, the other factor in this is that we're used to imperialism happening, coming from without. So <laughs> even cultural imperialism, you know, mm-hmm. America does things a certain way. There's a certain puritanism or, you know, and we, you, you export your culture and you, 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 you uh, kind of influence other con- countries through that. That's very natural. And that's something we could expect from China. But what's happening is that they are imposing values because of the access and the investments and everything to outside um, countries and outside companies so that they impose those values from like not just from without from China coming into America, France, whatever, but also from within those countries, which is all kinds of disturbing. But OK, that's the general geopolitical context Uh, keep going (laughs) oh yeah no i think that that's i think that's uh very true and very interesting it it does seem to me that also i mean the hong kong protests themselves have served as a sort of an escalation point for everyone's awareness of this i think you know each of the things that you mentioned i've learned about in retrospect you know i've gone and been reading and trying to pay attention but the hong kong protests themselves are a very uh visible thing and you know Mm. i've just been paying attention because protests on that scale and for that long, I mean, that's just something that doesn't isn't happening everywhere in the world. And the protests are very organized. They're very good at, you know, staying unified and getting their message out. And so I see those protests and think, oh, OK, I understand this. I understand what's happening. And then that has kind of been the central conflict for each of these, you know, corporate uh, conflicts that we've run into with Apple and with the NBA and with Blizzard and so on, mm-hmm. because they all center around someone expressing solidarity with the protesters. So it kind of gives it an angle that makes sense to me. In a way that I don't know, you know, uh, maybe a Google employee boycotting something they're doing because they're working with the Defense Department or working with an overseas government on surveillance technology, like that can just feel a little bit itemized and harder mm. to follow. This all centers around these big dramatic protests, and I think that also makes this it brings the whole thing kind of into relief. Yeah, I, I will mention that you know the things that have been happening in in uh, Western China with the Uyghur population. There must be people listening to us now pulling their hairs out because it's essentially it's not quite concentration camps, I think. Yeah, but it's not my far. understanding is yeah, it's not good. And uh, like re-education camps and it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, horrendous. And that has been happening for what over a year, two years. Um and I talked about it here and there, but <clears throat> no one I mean, it's a good thing if a video game is bringing attention to an issue that is uh, um more general and we're not going to sure. say oh, but we were talking about it before so you shouldn't talk about it now, but so, all right, let's uh, talk about the uh, specific. Now that we have everything about the <laughs> we've, context we've explained laid it all out for perfectly. Um, <laughs> so what do you think about Blizzard's, uh, I guess, the initial decision, everyone was in agreement. It's rare that the entire uh, gaming community agrees about something, but I think there mm-hmm. it was the case. Um, the current one, what do you think about uh, six months of suspension and um, money given back? Uh, of course, right. after everything that's happened. Um, yeah. What do you think? So I think that the initial decision, well, so I personally just like, I don't agree with it. I think you should be able to speak about politics if you're an athlete. I understand it's Blizzard's prerogative to do whatever they want and enforce that kind of vague rule that they have about, you know, <laughs> no, I don't remember what it is exactly, no offensive speech or something. They can deem whatever they want offensive speech. That's it's essentially their, a right, blanket, it's their prerogative. A blanket, yeah, it's a blanket rule that says statement. if you do anything we don't like, then we have the right to do anything we like. 
Right. And so, you know, uh, you, I get that they can do whatever they want with that. I think the initial decision, they I'm surprised they didn't see the angry response from fans coming. I think maybe they, maybe they thought no one would notice or something. And then when they got the angry response, to take a half measure and kind of compromise and say, well, okay, we'll give him his money back and half the penalty. There's still a penalty there. And I think what people are reacting to is the idea of being penalized for somebody else's, you know, a different country's restriction on free speech, which just doesn't feel fair and any penalty probably wouldn't have pleased anyone. So I I get that they're kind of in a tough spot. And it is interesting, you know, you mentioned this earlier, and it's something that I've seen um, non, uh, just basically non-American commentators pointing out that America has done this to people (laughs) right and left. And this is like a very common thing to think, oh, well, we need to change our, our product to succeed in the American market. And to watch a company like Blizzard in this case kind of doing that, not with its product, but with its people, I think is... In particular, the thing that's kind of set people off, it'd be one thing if Blizzard was doing what movie companies do, you know, where they say, oh, well, we don't want to have a Chinese villain, which apparently is a thing that uh, Disney movies will say, oh, well, okay, or we're going to portray China in a positive way in a certain way because they're a major market. Like, that's one thing. And I think people maybe don't like that. Some people might not like that, but they don't really mind because it just sort of affects the game in some small way or some small representation of a character. But the minute it's people... Like, I think that the fact that it was the guy who was speaking his mind and trying to say a thing and then he was directly punished for it, that just feels so much more clearly oppressive (laughs) to watch a person have that happen to them. So I think that because of that, Blizzard, like Blizzard couldn't really respond to this in any way other than to undo what they did to the guy because you're watching a person, you know, in a sense, like have harm done to them for reasons, you know, that that people don't really agree with in the first place. And that, I think, is what caused this to feel like such a, you know, such a bigger problem than it would have been if, you know, I don't know, China had called on them to censor a game or or change the content of a game. I think, yeah, I, I, first I want to clarify, I'm not equating what uh, the American empire was doing. Oh, no, 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 I know you're and, not, I know you're not. It's yeah. more something that I don't <laughs> right. acknowledge enough and I actually just think is interesting that yeah. we, of course, don't think about on that. You know, that's just kind of how the global economy works, right? And it's good and bad, and I don't know, yeah. and I'm sure people in America are like, oh, it's been fine this whole time, you know, as, as it's been happening to other countries, yeah. when I'm sure there are also I mean, it's, times it's been annoying, but yeah. The, the closest thing we might, uh, uh, think of is when you know Facebook has to decide if an image is appropriate for everywhere in the world, and so in France right, we're like, right. well, just a boob, it's fine, just show it already. And, <laughs> yeah, that's a good example, and and you know something like that. And Americans um, are like, and of a course, boob, what? No, yeah. <laughs> exactly. This is the worst Don't thing you we've ever seen. The, <laughs> the wardrobe malfunction. Um, oh man, yeah. And, and of course, you know, it's it's like the the idea of it can be comparable, but of course, you know, the the uh, in unbearable oppression that the Chinese people are are suffering is not anything similar to that. So, yeah, right, right, very different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, about the the Blizzard thing, I think so. Let me play devil's advocate for just a second, uh, and of course, Do this it. is something everyone's been talking about, but. And I understand that talking about freedom against oppression is not the same as saying, you know, for example, Donald Trump is awesome. But don't you agree that that they need some kind of policing of their uh, um their outlets, their tournaments, so that it doesn't become a political circus and every winner starts saying, Oh, I hate uh, uh, you know Trump, or I love Warren, or, and I know you're a, 
I believe, maybe I'm wrong, you're somewhat a left-leaning person so i'll say if yes. someone <laughs> yeah, starts showing say. up and saying <laughs> and saying trump is is amazing let's get the mm -hmm. wall built and you know stuff like that i certainly it would annoy you and if this thing with china hadn't happened i'm guessing you would say well this doesn't really have its place in a but maybe i'm putting words in your mouth no you know i think that that's it's easy to imagine a hypothetical scenario where one protest mm. leads to more protests and soon that's all anyone's talking about i don't think we've ever seen that happen so i'm sort of skeptical that that's really what would happen if one mm. person you know if a if a hearthstone caster or somebody wanted to get up there in a maga hat and be like donald trump is great they would kind of be seen as an oddity as like a character who's doing this thing and okay i guess that guy's doing that and i you know personally wouldn't agree with him and some other people might not and so other people would agree with them and like i don't know if the the bridge between that and suddenly it you know all of hearthstone casting devolving into this just political fracas at all times that just doesn't really happen like it doesn't happen in sports leagues in america either right where people sometimes will say political things and there's always a feeling of selective you know, selective punishment. Colin Kaepernick is a really great example of this. This is the NFL quarterback who took a knee to protest police violence um, against African-Americans and was punished and kind of blackballed from the league for it. And a lot of other people say a lot of other political things. It just so happened he was punished in for this one mm. thing that he did. So that, to me, I, I think is more suspect and more damaging when it's the selective thing there you know not every not every act of political speech is punished i'm sure there are hearthstone casters i don't know this for sure so i guess i could be wrong but i'm assuming that they talk about politics sometimes they talk about world events just during the cast mm. you know over the process oh, of playing a I game can or imagine, maybe streaming a game i can't imagine someone quipping about something or you know making a joke and then i, right. I can't imagine i'm sure that happens sometimes so this was like a pretty, you know, obviously this was a much bigger and more noticeable mm. thing to have this guy put on a mask and say, you know, freedom for yeah. Hong Kong or whatever it was he said. So, you know, I think that that like the there's never going to be a perfect way to enforce the rule in the first place. So and I don't know what the solution is. You know, I do. I understand why they would want to have the rule in place just in case things are really, you know, they're completely losing the thread and no one's even talking about the game anymore and everything is just like they have to ha exert some control. It's their product. It's their channel. I get it. But they have to choose what they do. And the fact that there's a Chinese interest and they have this like significant business interest in things, it's not just like they're trying to keep things focused on the game, right? It's very clearly a self-interested business move. And that's of the course. part of it, I think, that people can read between the lines. And so they're like, well, okay, sure, you want to keep it focused on the game. But at the same time, come on, you, this is about money. This is about yeah. your business. And they haven't really said that. I don't know if them being clear about that or saying that would help. Like, I think the, you know, people would still have a problem with the decision. But in addition to the decision being questionable, there's also just kind of a layer of BS over it where people can people know yeah. why they're really doing this. And it's not the purity of the game or the cast. Mm -hmm. It's uh, yeah. Reading the statement, I was. It's a really difficult thing for me. Um, and I, I hope yeah, I'm sure you can probably. That I'm not. <laughs> did you ever have you know, to write statements like that when you were working? <laughs> well, not quite like that, but we did have a couple of yeah. times where things weren't super rosy and we had to write stuff. But um, mm -hmm. it, I, I really have a, an attachment to Blizzard, the company, because I've been with them for so long. Not just not as an employee that almost has nothing to do with it, but just I like the company. I like their games. I'm not into, sure, into sure. fanboying, but I want to. There's a feeling of community and joy being part of this group. 
And so that kind of pulls with what I'm feeling about what they did. And reading the statement, um, you know, it, it felt very um, corporate-y at a time mm-hmm. when they needed sincerity. And going over the values, like, oh, think globally, lead responsibly, every voice matters. And they were like, yeah, every voice matters, and we should think globally. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to justify those values with this decision in a manner <laughs> that was incredibly felt completely disingenuous was yeah. really hard to, like, it was cringy to read through. And I think... I mean, I don't know if I still know some of the people who worked there whom I am certain didn't sleep for three days to, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to message this and how what to say. And so anyway, that felt really uh, um, weird and, and wrong. And the time, the, the way they said, I'm going to read that quote specifically, our relationships with China had no influence on our decision. He's what? Like, Come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you try what are you even like just if you don't want to people to 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 think about this just don't even mention it. Like try to I don't know. It's like this I don't is think that would work either for what it's worth. <laughs> I mean, you could say, you know, we try to have everyone speak freely but in the context of the tournaments we want to avoid uh it becoming a political circus i'm sure they would find a better way of saying this so we have to have rules and mm. they could have talked about that you know and not say china had nothing to do with it like i guess like, even i don't they, know though like their messaging it, is listen to even, well go ahead go ahead go ahead i mean saying china had nothing to do with it is laugh, laughable it <laughs> Even if what they're trying to say is it's not like Xi Jinping picked up the phone and told us to do this. So that would be pretty The fact awesome that they're in happened. business, <laughs> it would be cool. Um, be the fact that they that. have a business in China, obviously, like the swiftness and the maybe it was the Chinese team or the Asian team that got scared and that took this decision very quickly without calling Brack, maybe. But still, you can't say that. It's just incredibly difficult i don't want to be definitive but it's incredibly difficult to believe that mm-hmm. this is a factual statement but um, and, the, and then the I, whole, I have I mean, other stuff to say afterwards but sure yeah the whole their whole response to this thing is basically impossible i mean we're kind of mm. spitballing messaging that they could have done but i don't know that there's a way i mean short of just absolute transparency and and like just being just saying basically we have you know, there we have Chinese stakeholders in our companies. We do a lot of business in China. It's not good for us to take a political stand on this or for people associated with us to do this. And we're, as a result, we're going to punish this guy and nobody else do it. Like anything short of that is just not going to work. So there's no there's no way to message around it because you're like figuring yeah. out like the best ways to basically mislead people. But like they just needed to be straight about it. And yeah. it's just not a good decision to have to make. Like they were just in a very difficult spot. And. And then they had to justify a decision that only really has one justification, as far as I can see. Yeah, that's that's I, I agree with that. Um, I think they could have, you know, basically given China the finger and uh, <laughs> said that goodbye. That would have been cool. I the, mean, I, that's, I'm sure that there are a lot <laughs> but, of people who would have who would have yeah. applauded that. Which I'll get to that back to that in a second, and we're going to get to the end of this segment that's already been quite long. But I do want to mention the There's fact a lot that there. Um, there is. I want to be hopeful for the future. And this is my love of the games that Blizzard makes that's speaking maybe a little bit there. The the uh, punishment now is six months for even the harshest 
political stance you can take, they've established a precedent which says mm. six months ban is what you get. And they've actually applied it to the um, collegial team that also came out in support in the American mm -hmm. team. Um, uh, in, in support of, of Hong Kong. And they the it's funny, the people on Twitter responsible for the team were saying, as expected, we've been banned. And there was a little bit of will they, won't they uh, during uh, for a few days. And in the end, they did. So at least they're consistent there. I guess there's some <laughs> solace to be taken in that. But it's a six-month ban. Um, if you agree that there should be policing of political speech on these events, I guess people will argue between three or six months. Anything less is, you know, not significant. So it's a six months ban. I hope Blitzchung will participate in the next um, Grandmasters for Hearthstone next year, which he has been told he is able to. Um, he was still hesitant on whether or not he would before the reduction of the uh, penalty. He hasn't said if he will or not at this point. But if he does... It means that six months from now, we're going to have this guy who was at the center of this entire um, controversy, who will still be on camera playing Hearthstone and, you know, be there. And which might even, you know, it's going to bring all of this story back again. And um, he will, the, the punishment will still be, uh, um, the punishment permits him to come back and, and be visible. And who knows, maybe he will do it again. You know, and it will, mm -hmm. he will get another six months, but it becomes a, a, a valiant, I mean, he, he was expecting that he would be punished for this. Um, so I don't know. I, I hope that by making the ban this, they are essentially saying, if you do it, you're not going to die. You're not going to lose your money if you do it in an interview, not during the games. It's going to be six months that are going to be tough. Um but if you really feel strongly about something, we're not going to assassinate you in the esports world. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't, maybe that's wishful thinking. But maybe it, I mean I think there's a couple ways this could go, and it'll definitely be interesting to see. I mean, this does feel like a story that probably by the time people are listening to this, something new will have happened, right? This is a, <laughs> well, BlizzCon is in a couple of weeks, so that's uh, so that will be very interesting. I think uh -huh. there are people planning big protests there. I'm, it wouldn't surprise me if some other players did something similar to test Blizzard on this, or did something yeah. more extreme to test Blizzard and to see what Blizzard does. So we'll have to see there. Yeah, there's a sort of question of will he come back? If he does, will he become like this kind of figure that continues? references this and also this the past couple of weeks have felt like an inflection point at least over on this side of the Atlantic for people think talking about this and thinking about this just like I was talking about at the beginning kind of in the broader culture and in the broader uh, business world and that to me I don't really know how this will go I mean in the end I guess money talks and we're kind of seeing some of the uh, interesting side effects of capitalism and global capitalism but there is a. I think that it's clearer, at least now, somewhat, than it was a week ago or two weeks ago to a lot of these companies that there is a cost to doing business with China in these certain ways or giving an authoritarian government say over what you do with your own internal policies. And I think more people are aware of that now than they were. And that, to me, just strikes me as a good thing, even if it's the side effect of a bunch of bad situations, because it means people know more of what's going on and it could lead to different decision making being uh, different decisions being made in the future. But yeah, it's yeah. something we'll just have to watch. Yeah, I will say that I think they have to do something before or at BlizzCon. The, this statement didn't cut it. Uh, yeah. Um, 
You, you can know, imagine them just like getting on stage and it's the sort of wimpy. They don't really mention it and that would not fly. I don't that think. would if, if they don't addressing address it. So it's it's obviously not a good situation either way. But I think if they do address it, then it becomes everyone talks about it for half a day and then mm. they talk about the games that they're, in, uh, in the, uh, you know, going right, to. Right, them. right. If they right. don't, it's all anyone's going to talk about for the entirety of the con. Right. They come um, out with some, you could, I could see some mealy mouth, you know, we're, we believe in freedom around the world, like some vague thing that doesn't mention it, mentions it without mentioning yeah. it. And that would probably be disappointing to most people. I think, you know, I think there would be a way of addressing it without addressing it somehow, some PR ninja mm-hmm. too. Um, it's, that's, you know, for example, there's a Hong Kong team that managed to uh, fly itself to BlizzCon for the uh, Overwatch World Cup. Um, mm. maybe they could say how happy they are that, uh, they're there or, you know, something mm-hmm. to that effect, a wink that China can, it, it like something that's strong enough that it signals the support, but that yeah, China we're kind of past winking though, right? <laughs> like they, I, they yeah. Need to yeah. I don't wink, know. Probably. But you know, I, the reason, one of the reasons why I'm, I, I also, another reason I like the company, uh, four, five years ago, I was still working there. And before I left, I sent a me- we were in the summer of Gamergate. And I sent a message, uh, an email to Mike Morheim. Um, I didn't, you know, do that on a regular basis, but I did once. <laughs> and I said, I told him, hey, you know, it would be really awesome if we could address this and, um, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in the con or in the opening thing. And he replied very quickly, very kindly. Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's not great, but we'd rather let our games do the talking and we don't want to uh, uh, talk about this ourselves, which I think was a fair enough response. But in the end, uh, I was there like a week after I had left the company or a couple of weeks and he ended up addressing it, not saying game yeah, game people are horrible or, you know, they're a-holes, but he said there's a lot of negativity in, on the internet. We hope you'll be kind to each other and blah, blah, blah. And then... Uh, Overwatch came out and through the next few years, um, they have shown in their games, they have acted upon the things they believe in, in, in regards to this issue, which is maybe a little bit less difficult to <laughs> navigate than mm-hmm. uh, relationships mm-hmm. with China. But the parity uh, and diversity in Overwatch is undeniable and, and uh, I think uh, something to be happy about. Most of their characters now are properly dressed, including the female characters, you know, things like that, which I think makes me think that there is something there at Blizzard that, by the way, very few other companies have actually embraced Mm -hmm. in that way. Overwatch is a beacon in that sense. Um, yeah, you know, so I've know. I've always I've appreciated that about Blizzard in general. I think even when Overwatch gets things wrong, which they have, and they re- you know they mess up issues of representation, they hear feedback from people. They're yeah. remarkably transparent. And I'm not a super hardcore Overwatch player. I played it when it first came out, but I followed you know Kotaku's coverage while I was still there. They wrote about the game a lot. A lot of my colleagues played a lot, and just you know Jeff Kaplan. Every time he'd talk, they'd be they run interviews with him and things that he'd he'd say about the game. And I think, you know, there there's a sense of watching them process things in real time. And while they do still do things like you mentioned, they, you know, he mentioned Gamergate, but he kind of didn't. It was like this. It was it was a nice thing, but it was one. It was a little bit one of those. Uh, don't be mean to each other <laughs> instead of let's call this thing out. Yeah, but which no, I also, no, one else, no one else talked about. It right. Which even that was right? unusual, which was yeah. depressing on its own. But that's true. And yeah. it was something he didn't have to do. And he did it. So, like, I totally do appreciate it. And so I feel like that's emblematic of like this 
push and pull at Blizzard. They're a huge company. They're trying to do the right thing. And you, and I do get the sense a lot of the time that they're being as transparent as possible when you're an organization that big, making that many different things. And yeah, this is the, I think this is like like we've said, this is kind of the beginning of of a of a long chapter for them. Yeah. And I'll be interested in how they deal with it because unlike most companies, they will probably do more of it out in the open than uh, than mm. you might think, or be a little bit more at least like a little more welcoming and discussion like, to discussion about it. So yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see. I'll be at BlizzCon in a couple of weeks, and we'll see what happens. But uh, that's maybe, gonna be a, that's gonna be a trip. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a way to do it is to say, you know, we will make a space within the convention hall for people who want to express their views. You can go mm -hmm. there and you can go here and we welcome Like a cordoned off opinion. protest space. <laughs> to an extent, you know, I think That's it's... That's what cities want... do. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. I think that could say, you know, if you want to say it here and, and there's the whole issue of Q&As, like you have to let people ask the questions. Everyone, oh, every yeah. Q&A is going to have questions about this. So, and you have to let them. When everybody ask wants them, the viral so. Q and A moment, right? What was it with the? Wasn't it that Diablo game that was coming yeah. to phones and that guy asked? I don't even remember the question. I just remember. Is it it went viral. A, I think it was. It was essentially. Is this a? a it April was like, are you Fools pranking us? Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, that was which rude, by the way, rude Someone said it was really. But you know, it, someone said, imagine if this uh, Hearthstone issue happened last year before they had the BlizzCon with Diablo Immortal right, only. Right. That would have been like, anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, yep. I, yeah, we could talk about this forever and we already yeah, have. So it's definitely true. Let's uh, move on to Riot's big League of Legends 10 year anniversary stream and announcements, which was kind of incredible. Um, they had a 45 minutes long stream where they talked about all of the games they are developing. Some of them are very far uh, from release, but some of them are closer, like the card game. Um, they celebrated the community that has made them who they are with just one game until now for 10 years, League of Legends, uh, but pretty legendary game. Um, and they announced... Uh -huh, so to speak. <laughs> um, they announced uh, a console and mobile version of League of Legends, which there are a few, including uh, some made by Tencent, which is company that owns uh, Riot, uh, but they, it's funny because they went the uh, Heroes of the Storm route, making it a little bit shorter games, more easy to uh, get into, but just for consoles and mobile, which makes sense on those platforms. So that's where they're going. Mm -hmm. um, the teamfight tactics, the um, uh, auto chess version of their game is going standalone in 2020. They have a card game, which is in beta very soon, called Runeterra, Legends of Runeterra, with no paid loot boxes, by the way. Um, it's uh, essentially, mm -hmm. you get loot boxes in game when you progress, and you get uh, targeted purchasable uh, uh, items. Um, there's a tactical shooter, which is kind of the uh, <laughs> illegitimate child of Overwatch and uh, CSGO. And there's a fighting game, which I love fighting games, and I've been wanting Blizzard to do one forever, but uh, uh, Riot's looks pretty cool from what we've seen. And a mystery game, which kind of looks like Diablo, I guess, from the very little mm -hmm. uh, we've seen. And a bunch of other things, uh, some animated series, a uh, League of Legends esports manager, when you man where you manage a team, like it's a managing simulation. <laughs> Interesting. Mm -hmm. A ton of things love for the community that that kind of uh, uh, overflows from this video i think it was pretty well done 
What did you think? Um, I, yeah, I think that it's all very interesting. I am not a huge League of Legends you know, player or I'm, you don't know, follow Riot super closely, but I know people who've gone to work there just because they kind of, they're one of those places, they kind of hoover up people from the games press sometimes, people who, you know, were working and needed a, needed a gig and maybe their publication shut down. So I've seen people go in there and my sense has always been that I don't fully understand Riot as a, as a corporate entity because they have so many people working there and it's not clear what everybody's doing because they just have this one game and the game works. It's a little like Valve in that way where they're Maybe they're not a black box the way that Valve is, but I've always just felt that way. I admit that I haven't looked super closely. So it's cool to hear that, oh, no, actually, they were making, they're making all these things. And um, a little bit like Valve announcing a bunch of games would be a similar feeling of, oh, okay, that mm. makes sense. We were kind of wondering what they were doing this whole time, and <laughs> here's all the things that they've been doing. I wonder if all of these games will really come out. One of the things that I've noticed about Valve and League is they're both kind of one-product companies at this point. And they completely survive based on that one product. In the case of Riot, this is League of Legends. In the case of Valve, this is Steam. And as a result, there's kind of they don't have that same pressure to finish projects and and actually ship things. And I don't know. I look at this this Overwatch style shooter and just think, really? Like, is that really going <laughs> to ever come out, or is that just going to be something that we see some you know some screenshots of and everyone talks about, and then in six years, you know, there are articles going up like, whatever happened to that shooter? There. <laughs> Riot announced back in 2019, um, yeah. and maybe I'm completely wrong. You know, maybe maybe it's already almost done, and they're about to ship it. I don't really know, but um, I'll. They be made it pretty clear that see. most of these seem to be in early stages or early right. stages of development. Right. Yeah. So, and that's you know they have nothing really to lose by announcing that stuff, especially because they're basically doing fine um, because they have this extremely popular, extremely successful game. So yeah, I don't know. Um, it's it remains to be seen whether they need to change, and I guess. All companies feel the need to grow and to launch new products. Clearly, this feels like they're on the way to becoming Blizzard, or they're looking at Blizzard and thinking, okay, well, <laughs> Blizzard has this great kind of diverse roster of games that a bunch of people play and do well for them in different sort of areas of gaming. So why yeah. can't we have that too? But I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's even um, more than that. They have a card game. Well, we're, we'll do a card game. They have, I mean, I'm right. sure it's not the way they look at it, but. The parallel is striking. They have the card mm -hmm. game. They have the shooter game. They have the thing that kind of looks like Diablo. It's just the fighting game that's uh, that's different. And of course, they, you know, they have their own spin. But so one of the reasons I've never gotten into league and have always. I don't know. I don't. I'm not very drawn to the characters, the character design, or the world of Riot Games. I just don't find. You know, I've seen. We would always write articles at Kotaku. Someone would publish something about League of Legends, and we have to go find art for it. And it's all, they have all those concept art of these kind of generically attractive characters. I'm probably making a bunch of League of Legends fans very angry right now. But I've just never really <laughs> been drawn into the world or like found it very compelling. Where Blizzard, in you know, just. Through the through the benefit of like having the world of Warcraft and World of Warcraft, but Warcraft itself as a fictional world is actually like pretty cool. Or the world of Diablo kind of has a lot going on, or more going on than you would think. And I've always been drawn into those worlds. Overwatch certainly, you know, it lives on the yeah. power of its characters and its world design and how you like all these characters so much. I'd be interested if you can just do that, like if you can kind of just convert into something like that, because I think that there's a certain, you know, whatever you want to call it, special sauce, I guess, that Blizzard 
Blizzard mm. is able to do through their character designers and their writers that I don't know if you can just kind of magic into existence the way that Riot, I'm sure, would love to. So that, I think, will be a big differentiator, and it's a question for me as to whether, you know, a person like me, that I may be a target person for one of these games. Oh, I don't really like, you know, playing MOBAs, I don't like League of Legends, but oh, maybe I'd play this card game, or maybe I'd play this tactical shooter. If there's something that'll pull me in beyond just, oh, it's a good tactical shooter, because there's plenty of those already, you know, Overwatch exists, mm. Counter-Strike Go exists. So I'm curious about yeah. that, whether they can do that. It's it, it is very interesting. I think they they have their origins in, of course, another you know uh, um, not twist of fate, but linking their fates together. Um, obviously, Dota, which was a mod for um, uh, Warcraft three, and that's yeah. why you have the generic characters, which are essentially lifted from Warcraft three, at least right, in the beginning. Right. Um, but you know, Blizzard initially Warcraft came from a failed partnership with uh, Warhammer, right? And that's why mm. Warcraft looks so much like Warhammer. And through the years, um, they've managed to build something more. I'm not mm -hmm. a, LOL, a, a League of Legends player at all. I've tried it a couple of times and found it repulsive <laughs> every time. So I'll be <laughs> angering the same people as you did. But um, I, I think they're doing something really well, which is focusing on their core hardcore community and that's mm -hmm. something that blizzard has um i think always uh well not focused as much on they tried to uh spread out as much as possible and make it welcoming to a lot of people make their games welcoming to a lot of people while uh, you know catering to the core community um but of course when your focus is a little bit split you do maybe one of them a little bit less well and riot mm -hmm. has been focused on the core community so uh, obsessively that this is what is fueling them. I do see more uh, uh, attractiveness in what they've shown us uh, here. But yeah, it's not an easy thing. And we'll see how much of it is uh, realized. And all of these are probably far down the line. So... Yeah, it's interesting. That core audience observation is a very relevant one right now to what's going on with a lot of these games. We're going to talk about Destiny 2 in a little bit, and that's basically been, that was the constant tension with Destiny, right, was do we focus on our hardcore fan base or do we try to expand and get new people in? And all of these games are kind of wrestling with that. And at this point, it seems to me like the smart play is more you know, to focus on your core fan base, especially when you're League of Legends and you have millions of people playing your game. Like, it's, it seems to me more like people are doing that. It's, I guess, a more conservative approach in a certain way, but it's saying, we have these fans, they like this game, let's build stuff for them, rather than, oh, but all these millions of people who aren't playing our game, how can we bring them in? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it seems like that's the approach they're taking, and I'm seeing that approach being taken by more and more games. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, we'll see how how well it works for them or if they end up saying we want to bring in more people. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure they would tell you that at least. Oh, yeah, of course. We'd love you to come yeah, in and play. Come on in. Um, <laughs> I will mention very briefly that Riot being held uh, owned by Tencent has declared that they want no political speech at all. Yeah. Any yeah. I was going to mention that earlier and I'm like, well, we just stopped talking about China. But yeah, that was the least yeah. surprising announcement of the week last mm -hmm. week when that happened. It was, so it would be interesting to see what happens if they have to do something about something. But um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right. Um, well, we were you were talking about Destiny. Let's talk about the games we've been playing. And uh, sure. I guess that means Destiny 2, uh, Shadowkeep, the latest expansion, among other things. But uh, I talked about it a little bit last episode. It had just come out, so I didn't uh, play it a lot. 
What do you think about this latest version of uh, Destiny? I think I, so. What I think about it, I guess, falls into two different like categories. There's what I think about the game as a game and what I think about it as a game in my life. <laughs> and I try to really keep those things separate because, you know, people who really care about Destiny won't be as interested in, you know, the Kirk Hamilton experience of Destiny, <laughs> even though, you know, my personal experience of the game informed my coverage of it at Kotaku for years and years. And Destiny is like one of the games that I wrote about at that site. I've played thousands of hours of Destiny and I know the game really, really well and was kind of at the forefront of coverage of it. So I know everything in the story of Destiny. It's just something that will always be, I don't know, it's a game that will always be a part of me. It's the first MMO that I ever became really addicted to that I really became a part of the community of and, you know, followed super closely and got upset set about patch notes because they were nerfing pulse rifles like there's you know I really I really care about this game even though now you know the thing I'm struggling with is that I don't know that I have space in my life for it so that's that's one thing but in terms of the game itself I think it's a very good expansion that is less about the content added in the expansion you know the, the moon and the Eris Morn quests and stuff and more about the way that Bungie has clearly communicated to their players and will continue to communicate to their players how the game has changed the new focus that they've placed on it and the systems that they put in place to give people something to do just forever because that's you know like I was just saying they have focus on the people who want to play Destiny all the time and they've said okay, you're our main audience and we're finally going to really give you something in the game that you can just do. And there's always something to do. There's always progress to be made. Specifically, that's like the armor, the new armor system and the um, seasonal progression that they've added to the game, which is a way bigger deal for that kind of player than it is for me. But I've come to understand what a big deal that seasonal progression is. I'm, I, I agree with everything you've said, but... Kind of. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, go ahead. I I feel I was a little bit disappointed by the campaign of yeah. uh, this expansion. I think they made incredible progress with the campaign of last year's expansion, the uh, Forsaken, mm -hmm. which was a genuinely, uh, uh, honest to God, good single player expansion, if that's all you wanted to do. Um, and this one is back to the destiny nonsense. You know, you're like, oh, look, mm. there are pyramids and Aries Morin is crying. <laughs> oh, I like the ghosts. pyramids. Oh. The pyramids were teased at the end of D2. I thought that was cool in the pyramids. They are. But I, I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. But what are they? Can you tell me what they are? No, no. <laughs> the darkness. I don't know. They contain the darkness or something. We're going to find out, I guess. Maybe. At some point. That's me. Listen, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me Many times they've been saying, "Yeah, this but come forever. on, you were never playing Destiny for the lore, right?" No, it's course. because it's fun to shoot aliens I, in this game. Like, <laughs> obviously, obviously, I've been playing Destiny since it first released. I enjoyed it very much, but it's just that Forsaken was so good and so compelling mm -hmm. as a story, and as you know, going through it for the campaign, that I felt let down that they went back to the usual nonsense. Mm -hmm. That being mm -hmm. said, the game itself is still just as fun as it was before, um, maybe a little bit more. I do feel that the uh, randomness and the added uh, um, characteristics on armor and stuff like that makes it a little bit more annoying for me because I'm not super hardcore. I played a lot, but I'm right. not like a raider or anything like that. And now it's like, if I want to quote unquote optimize my stuff, I have to pay attention to 15 more different things, which, right. uh, to be fair, I don't have to optimize it. It doesn't matter if I'm not into that. But you want to, right? You feel that, like yeah, you want to. But you, Yeah, yeah. No, I'm but totally with you said, on that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I, I, I do enjoy it. But I guess um, on this show, I try to tell people, if you're, you know, 
should you be interested in it? If you already are, then yes, it's still just as cool as it was before. And last year's annual pass was awesome. The, each season was really cool. We're kind of on, in the same uh, mode here. But if you're not, this is not going to float your boat. It's If you've already tried it and you didn't like it and you didn't like the shooty shooty stuff, then this is not going to do anything for you, unlike mm. the campaign from last year from Forsaken. But what that tells me is that I'm twice as interested in what's going to be happening next year for hopefully what will be a bigger uh, expansion, mm -hmm. um, because this was way more laying the groundwork of the systems and the infrastructure of the game than actually delivering more content. So, right. we'll see. Yeah, I feel like that, that distinction gets at the distinction between the types of players that Destiny is being designed for now, right? Like, mm. a player like you or, you or me at this point, also, like, I would rather play a Forsaken-style campaign. I completely agree that Forsaken was the Taken King of Destiny 2, to draw mm. a Destiny 1 comparison. And this is very much the rise of Iron of, of Destiny 2, right. where Rise of Iron was the expansion that came the year after Forsaken, or sorry, after the Taken King, and did a very <laughs> similar thing. It was a sort of a short story campaign that was a little bit ambiguous and then ended, but it introduced a whole bunch of grind and things to pe for people to chase for the rest of the game. This is that on a way bigger scale with the, you know, they've planned out all these mm. seasons and all this stuff. There's clearly going to be a story playing out. And that's, like I've said, you know, I'm drawing this distinction between what the game is for the people who play it that way and want that really grindy, long-term stuff. That's The game is very, very good for those people right now. But for me personally, like, I haven't played the game in more than a week because mm. I put a whole bunch of time into it over this one weekend, chasing down the rocket launcher. You can get us this exotic quest that sort of you have to just do a bunch of repetitive stuff to get. And I finished that. It took me, I don't know, a bunch of hours to do. And I'd spent a lot of the weekend doing it. And I looked and said, I can't do this. I have... You know, I'm freelance now. I have all these musical projects I'm working on. Like, I need to be practicing guitar. Like, I can't. And, like, I'm very, I'm just much more aware now that it's not my job to play and write about Destiny that I'm spending time that I need to be spending on other things playing this game. And this game that will happily take dozens and dozens of hours and just munch through my evenings if I let it because it's such a, you know, mm. engrossing time sink. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. It would have been cool to play more of a single-player campaign, but... That's kind of what the game is going to be now, especially now that Bungie is is solo and has broken free of Activision because they don't have the support studios making the game anymore. They had, what, High Moon and the other studio who helped them make the mm -hmm. PC ports and make the Mars expansion. I think Warmind was almost entirely made by another studio. They don't have that anymore, and that's very evident in what they've done here. There's a lot of clever stuff happening in Shadowkeep, repurposing of old assets. Every boss is a nightmare boss that's really yeah. just an old <laughs> boss from Destiny 1 that they could just bring up to Destiny 2. And you get this feeling that they're you know cleverly reusing assets. There's this really funny scene at the beginning of the campaign where you're on the moon again, which the moon is a Destiny 1 location, and the hives show up, which are one of the same enemies we've been fighting for seriously, what, five <laughs> years now? Like, they still haven't introduced any race other than the Taken. And the Taken were actually just... Well, even the, the Taken were... Um, the Scorn, but the Scorn were kind of just fallen. Fallen, So there yeah, there's, keeps true. being this feeling. And then the, these yeah. Hive come up, and Ghost says to you, these aren't the Hive. And it's like, <laughs> okay, come on, guys. Like, I'm shooting thralls in the head. They're acolytes shooting at me. These, they're Hive. Like, I get that they're a little different, but they're still Hive. So Bungie is working with what they've got, and there's a sense that... You know, everyone always, I think, hopes, oh, and maybe the next expansion will be this big thing and they'll, you know, release this, something really wild will happen, a whole new race will crash to Earth. And it seems to me less and less likely that that's going to happen because now they have fewer resources than they used to. And they're creating a game that instead is just more of a kind of, you know, long term 
it, it is what it is. It's you shoot these these kinds of aliens, and it's really fun, and you chase these weapons, and every now and then we introduce a new weapon. But it does seem like they're struggling, understandably, to create as much content as people want. It's there, there wasn't a weapon refresh. There's you still get the yeah. same weapons from like every vendor. So every it's still all the same stuff you've been getting for years. And there's just this sense that you can tell they're they're making it work as best as they can. But I wonder if that'll really change in the next year or two, or if it's going to kind of be mm. this sort of a thing for a little while. Oh, you're making me worried now. Um, I mean, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I really hope they're working on something like they diverted resources from this one to work on, on mm-hmm. the next one. But yeah, I guess we'll see. That being said, uh, I was disappointed by the campaign, but I, I'm still uh, pining to play it more. And I've been very sure. busy uh, this, these past 10 days. I, hadn't ha- I haven't had time to play enough. But just like I have from for the past five years or six years, I really enjoy the shooting aliens in it's, the head. Yeah, that's that's and the magic of I, Destiny. Is yeah. it's fun to shoot stuff in that game, and so it never that never stops. Exactly. And it's, I mean, it's cool that it's free now too. You were mentioning new players. Mm-hmm. I think it's been interesting. My one of my co-hosts on Kotaku Split Screen, my other podcast, yeah, Maddie. Uh, Maddie Myers, has been playing the game, the free version on PC, which is like New Light, and I think it doesn't have Forsaken, but it's like all the year one stuff. You can just kind of play. People could try that, and I think they'll immediately get a sense of, oh, it feels very fun to shoot aliens in this game, and this is a pleasing game to play. But I think that it doesn't explain itself at all, and there is this sense of, this is just this massive systems and and goals and and quests and nothing. Everything is just thrown at you at once in this smorgasbord, and that does seem like it might be kind of alienating for people. I think mm-hmm. it's very. It doesn't explain itself I, either. It's, there are no I, tutorials or explanations. <laughs> to the point that I'm not sure I would recommend it. I mean, some people have tried it and enjoyed it, but I'm not sure I would recommend it to mm-hmm. new players. I was listening to um, a split screen, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Maddie Myers, your co-host, was explaining her experience, and she was like, "Oh, it's the first time I'm." playing an MMO and I didn't realize it was so obtuse and confusing and I was listening and I was like no MMOs aren't like that it's just Destiny they aren't all just right. completely right. there's some sort of onboarding usually just Destiny yeah. throws you in the deep end if, if you it's start it is free so I guess people story, can try it for free and there's that but yeah I think it is not entirely mm. welcoming my worry would be that people try it with this version get you know uh, uh, pushed off of it because they don't understand anything that's happening and then mm-hmm. don't get the joy of the head alien shooting thing that we've mm-hmm. liked for so long um mm-hmm. so yeah get out of this what you will for your uh decisions <laughs> about destiny 2 shadow keep uh, you've also been playing sayonara wild wild hearts and disco elysium which i'm curious about yeah, so those are these are two fantastic games that I've played that I wanted to tell your listeners about. Um, Cyanar Wild Hearts is a Simogo game that's on PS4 and phones and Switch. Um, have you played this game, Cyanar Wild Hearts? I downloaded it when uh, Apple Arcade launched. I played it for mm-hmm. a little bit and then what dis- was distracted by all the other Got games. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that kind of happened to me too. I played it a little bit and was like, wow, this is very, very good. And then stopped and then came back and played the whole thing. It's about 90 minutes long, so it's not super long. Um, and it is fantastic. I am over the moon over how good it is. Um, Simogo is a very, very small indie outfit. I think there's almost two of them. They're Swedish game studio. They made Year Walk and Device 6, fantastic games. They made Beat Sneak Bandit, which I had forgotten about. This is an older phone game that's this great little puzzle uh, stealth music game. Um, their games are very polished, very good, and this one is on another level. It's kind of like an 
running, racing, res style, stylized music game. Um, it's described almost as a pop album game. So there's this killer soundtrack. It's originally recorded by artists who've worked with Samogo before. So it's new music, but it sounds familiar. It sounds a little like that band Churches, if people, anyone listening to this likes Churches. It's this very like drenched, thick electronic pop music with female vocals. Gorgeous stuff. And you're this, you're playing as a young woman who had her heart broken and she kind of falls into a parallel dimension that's maybe symbolic. And she's kind of rediscovering aspects of her personality and like conquering adversity to rediscover herself. And so you fly through these fantastical spaces. You know, one minute you'll be actually flying through the air, kind of guiding yourself. I play with a controller on phone, so I'd, I liked the game with a controller yeah. better than with touch controls, but it plays pretty well with touch controls too. So you're like dodging things and trying to pick up gems, and then you land, and then suddenly you're on a motorcycle and you're you're driving and you're trying to hit gems, and then suddenly you're like riding a deer or you're flying flying through the air or there's it gets really wild you know there's all kinds of different vehicles and and scenarios and there are these boss fights each boss that you're fighting is this kind of very cool looking person who's challenging you in some way or another and the whole thing is queued up to this music. And it's beautiful looking and constantly shifting. You know, the perspective, the camera never stops, you know, never cuts. And it's just from behind this woman's shoulder. But she'll go flying through, you know, a wall and the camera will pull back around. And then suddenly the perspective is completely different as the music changes. And it's really just this kind of synesthesia experience of just mm. music and visuals and gorgeous ideas. And it's very clever. The challenges are very clever. It uses this one button input. It's very, very clever. And by the end, I was I was really, really overwhelmed by this game. Like the ending is beautiful. It is it's a masterpiece, really, like a little mini masterpiece. Wow. And I loved it so much. I just can't recommend it enough. <laughs> I love how animated you get when you talk about it. You have <laughs> the video on on Skype and I can see you getting joyous yeah. talking about it's, it. Man, I, it really <laughs> knocked me out. I, I loved it. So I hope I hope anybody listening to this, if I get one person to play it, um, especially because you can get what you can get Apple Arcade and like play it for no money yeah. at all. I almost want to buy it, though. I want to buy it on Switch or something just to give these people some money. You could. Um, though I guess they they got some money because I played it on Apple Arcade. I guess no one really knows how that works yet. So. Um, so, yeah, um, that game is, I, is very good. I do have a couple of questions. Um How sure. much do you think you're enjoying it because of your love of music, first of all? And second, how much of a game is it rather than experience? Is it is there, you know, gameplay in it or is it really just yes. you live through the thing? So uh, the first question, definitely a lot of the enjoyment I'm getting is because I love music. But, I mean, it's it's a really wonderful looking thing. If you don't like music, you might not like this <laughs> who, game. But, who doesn't but like music, Exactly. Like it's, yeah. it's a very appealing, you know, beautiful mm. thing. And so, yeah, for me personally, the fact that I'm over here on Skype freaking out about it, yeah, it's because I love music and I love what they're doing and the way that this game communicates musically, I think, is just fascinating and beautiful. But it's just really, really cool. Um, and the music is a big part of it. It is a musical experience. You wouldn't want to play this without headphones to the second question uh it is very much a video game it's not a very long one but it's a very dense one and mm -hmm. you know you'll be it's one touch inputs for the most part but that can translate into a lot of different kinds of gameplay it's very old school arcade in a certain way a lot of it is dodging you know blocks that are being dropped in your way by the boss it'll be kind of a mix of needing to thread through a bunch of fast moving obstacles like kind of like a racing game mixed with there's some fighting 
reading, but a lot of that is just button taps that the game prompts you to do almost like QTEs. A rhythm game? or oh, A little like a rhythm game, yeah. So it's like a mixture of rhythm game, steering, driving game. And then there's some aiming at a various part. You get this cool bow and arrow, and you're kind of like tapping on things to kind of blow them up as you're moving. So it's very, and it's very, like I've said, very shifting. So what you're doing at any given second even can be completely different than what you were doing before. Um, when you die, it kills the groove on the music and backs you up a little bit and you keep going. You don't lose lives or get a game over, but it does screw up the flow. And that to me is the worst punishment of all <laughs> when the music is really going and you're soaring through, you know, this, these really cool neon city streets and then suddenly you hit a building and the music just stops and you restart. <laughs> it's a, it's a very harsh punishment. Um, but yeah, I would say if you wanted to get gold, so you get rated on each level and it's very, it's very steeped in the language of video games. You know, you finish and the voice will say bronze rank, you know, and like, like it does that kind of thing. And um, you get a bronze or a silver or a gold. I would say trying to get a gold on every single level would require a lot of practice and a lot of repetition and going back to it. I know people who have done that. So if you want to get that kind of arcade game experience out of it, you absolutely can. And it's very well designed in that way. For me, I mostly just played all the way through it. And it was like an experience. But it was one that required skill. The last level was tough. I died a bunch of times. So it's not just a kind of watch these pretty things while this music plays. You have to interact with it and, and demonstrate yeah skill and kind of keep up sounds very cool yeah um, it is we'll talk about disco elysium in a second <clears throat> i just want to mention uh yeah well first of all i i, I definitely am going to play seven arrow wild hearts now yeah you'll um, dig it i think i also uh played i was traveling and i finally tried what the golf which everyone oh, has man. been raving about <laughs> <laughs> that game and, is amazing i was just playing some of that last night it it is kind of incredible, um, mm -hmm. and I, as everyone has been saying, I don't want to spoil it too much. It is kind of a golf game, and not really. It's more of a like the the, the elements of golfing that it takes from other games is basically pulling. Uh, you put your finger on the ball, and then you pull back to have the strength, and then you you uh, let go. And that throws the ball, but that's the right. only part. Like you don't have to <laughs> do things in a certain amount of. Or if you want to go for ranks. Occasionally you could, there's like, a par, uh, yeah. Yeah, a par and stuff like that. But really the experience and the density of the game and the cleverness of the way the levels are designed. Um, everyone knows, I think, that initially you, you tap the ball and then you tap the guy that's throwing the ball and then you tap a house. Right, that's and, kind of the first trick, yeah. Yeah, and and that's really nothing about the game because it 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 the way it finds ways of having you enjoy doing that simple movement of pulling back and then releasing is kind of amazing because of the gameplay elements and also because of the in interesting uh, uh, references and, and almost mm -hmm. narrative around all of it. It's like you yep. can feel that someone had a clever idea and then they actually built a full product. Like it's not just the gimmicky thing. It's everything that it needs to be a real gaming experience. So I'm, I mm -hmm. was very impressed and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that game continues to exceed even my understanding of what it is. The fact mm. that they have that overworld, you're kind of in this test lab where you're a golf ball moving through a test lab, which is feels a little valvey in its design, you know, a little like portal. And then you're going into these different test rooms, and then each one has these wild different rules. Is a really smart framework for the game, I think. And yeah, did you, have you gotten to the Nintendo reference? I don't want to say what it is, but um, I have got. I just last to... night played this hilarious Nintendo reference that I was have very, gotten very funny. to a number of yes, I okay, have, um, which so is... there just is this funny. continual sense of oh i get what they're doing here and it's so funny also i don't know whose voice it is but the guy 
who oh. it's just one guy's voice and he's kind yes. of singing and talking and he does all the voices is hilarious like the way that they use his voice and they use even just the sound files will just start playing everything that you'll do will be accompanied by him going like <laughs> making <Yeah>. some sound <laughs> and um, it's a very funny game there's a, yeah. a feeling of just continual punchlines like you're constantly each new one you think oh what's the joke gonna be and then you start laughing because it's not what you were expecting the way they manage to surprise you with the mechanics and like that's the thing i think you play the first couple of levels and you think well you know i've seen the game i understand what right. it is and the way they manage to with each new area to reinvent or like completely go outside of what you thought the game rules were even with all the variations at least to the point where i am now maybe it's get it gets repetitive afterwards but they keep like it's it's almost like they keep thinking they create a box where you think well this is the rules and this is how you play and then mm -hmm. next level they get they go outside this box and you're like oh my god that's so clever they're thinking outside the box but then they're like it's an infinite number of mm -hmm. boxes they keep going outside mm -hmm. of so very very cleverly done yeah it's, um, it's quite a game i'm a big fan as well yeah what the golf uh and finally disco elysium I guess. Disco Elysium. That's yeah. the game. So this game is a total trip. I talked about this on split screen this week as well, and I've only played a few hours of it. I've played a little bit more than when I talked about it with Maddie yesterday. So I have a slightly better sense of it. But um, this is one of the most interesting role-playing games I've played in years. Uh, and I didn't see it coming at all. I'd heard a little bit about it and seen screenshots of it, and I thought that it was going to be a kind of isometric PC RPG, you know, like Divinity Original Sin 2 in that kind of a vein. And I think it's an interesting counter counterpart to Divinity Original Sin 2 in this kind of resurgence of PC RPGs, but it's very, very different. And the best way I can describe it is to say that it's the most purely role-playing focused role-playing game I've almost ever played, um, at least played in a very, very long time, and that that's what it's all about. So I'll maybe talk about some of the specifics, but that's the thing to keep in mind is what this game is about is you can role play in a world full of consequences, even internal consequences of decisions that you make in a way I've just never seen before in a game. Um, so, all right, let me try and describe it to you. Have you, have you read about this game at all or not? I, mean, at I guess all, I'll no. be describing the it. Name, okay, cool. but, um, okay, that's good. I'll, Cause I'm assuming listeners maybe won't have heard of it either. This game is kind of under the radar. All right, so it looks like an isometric PC role-playing game, and I think it's only on PC. It's on Steam. And so you're, you know, your little guy walks around in these really intricately beautiful, you know, beautifully drawn 3D worlds viewed from an isometric overhead perspective. You click on things, you talk to people, you have conversations, you play a role, you go through a story, you make decisions, the story branches and reacts to your decisions. So it's that kind of a deal. It's closer to an adventure game in some ways, to like a point-and-click adventure game, than to a really chewy role-playing game like Divinity. Partly because there's no actual combat system. There is combat in the game, but it's all played out through the same um, system of like stat checks as the dialogue. So it's, you don't, you know, there isn't a whole separate combat system. You don't level up combat skills specifically or yeah. get new guns and like they become more powerful. Um, it's not that kind of game. It has a lot in common with Planescape Torment, which will probably perk up the ears of any like old school PC gamers listening to this. It feels to me a lot like playing Planescape in the way that there's a ton of text. It's a very text-based game. Um, it's almost like interactive fiction. As you walk around, there's just a whole lot of writing. There's voice acting for some of the lines of dialogue, but it's the thing where like people will talk for a little bit, and then it'll just become all text, and you'll go through very long conversations with them of just reading. So you do a lot of reading in this game. 
And it's set in a kind of a steampunk city that's its own original setting and is very interesting on its own, or I'm at least drawn in by it. It's a very seedy place, and you're this uh, detective in the police, in like the police force, but it's kind of like a corporate police force or a volunteer police force. Not not clear what's going on and like how this city works. You wake up, you're super hungover because you were just drinking and you almost died, and you have amnesia. So your character is this kind of deadbeat cop with amnesia, and it's helpful because you don't remember anything that's going on. So you've, there's this feeling of kind of faking your way through every conversation because you're not sure what you're supposed to be saying, but everyone's treating you like a cop, like you're supposed to know what's going on. Mm. The game itself is all built around these stat checks. So there's a lot of text you're writing and talking. And as that's happening, you're seeing stat checks for like your conceptualization skill or, you know, your the skill that governs your sort of how uh, your composure skill. You know, there are all these different skills that you have and they tell you extra information that you can use or not use in the conversation that you're having. And the result of this is that you're, there's a sense that your character is this. Uh, sort of systematized organism. It's your your character is constantly thinking and having stray thoughts and like delusions of grandeur and being distracted and or remembering something because he has a photographic memory and remembers things super well. And that's all factoring into conversation. So it simulates the conversation in this very dense way that I think is very different depending on what kind of character you're playing. Like you choose at the beginning. I want I chose a character who's very smart, but he's not very insightful or very brave or physically fit. He's just like a very smart guy. So he remembers a lot of things and has a good sense of he can read create a crime scene when he sees it and that opens up different options for me so using those skills then you role play with all these conversations all these characters and apparently it's it goes in a million different directions this is a game where you're apparently not supposed to exhaust every dialogue option in every conversation because doing so could make people angry with you or lead to unexpected Mm. repercussions down the road and it's much more like you have to treat it like a simulation and on top of all that, well, I don't want to get too sidetracked with, with all the systems, but basically the result of that is that you feel like you're role-playing in a tabletop game with a real DM. Like it feels like I am able to just choose all these different branches and come in conversation and role-play this thing in a way I never have in a game before. Mm. And the last thing to ex- that I'll explain, I guess, is the way that your thoughts and your internal monologue work. You have a whole thought system where if someone talks to you, like I was talking to this guy who's a super racist guy, and he was explaining he's like from another island and thinks that his race is the best and he was explaining to me his race ideology and as a result of that that is now something that i can dwell on and i kind of assign it to a part of my character's subconscious and he'll dwell on this guy's race ideology and over time be able to speak it to the guy which i think will then make that guy like me but the downside of that is it will make my character a racist which (laughs) i think then will lead to outcomes that i can't predict like my character will do things that i don't want him to do or he'll you know, say something racist to somebody, but it's kind of this interesting simulation of how an ideology might work. There's a whole system for that, for thoughts and for things that you're dwelling on and kind of keeping in the back of your mind that then kind of come out in unexpected ways. And you'll even have conversations with your senses and your thoughts. Like I was out and, you know, suddenly my rhetoric skill just pops up and I have a conversation with it as it says, well, you know, that guy made some interesting points. And so I say to him, like, well, what do you mean? And my rhetoric skill is talking to me and it says, mm-hmm. well, you know, you could think of it this way or think of it that way. And I have this option to accept what it's telling me and then move in this one direction or not. So 
it's a very inwardly focused simulation where you're this person, basically. And like I said, I've played four or five hours of it, maybe three, four hours. I'm really impressed with it. It's not like anything I've ever played before. Could be it all falls apart from what I've seen, the coverage of it that's been very, very positive. It doesn't. And it's it is as good as I think. As, excuse me, as I think that it is, but um, it's a uh, it's a trip. It's quite a trip of a game so far. This is kind of hard to wrap your head around when you. It is. It's kind of hard. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Unless uh, I just like monologued for a few minutes trying to explain this, and even then, it's it is difficult yeah. to nutshell for people. So, how much would you say of the game is outward, and how much of it is like the the character? fiddling with its right with like, their own mind and mind. emotions and yeah i'd say it it depends on how you look at it i mean you're walking around in this beautiful looking world picking things up interacting with the world so it's largely outward but okay. every aspect of conversation or really interaction is mirrored or like followed along with by your internal monologue so it's happening kind of parallel in a way that feels like you're a person in the same way that you or i interact with the world when we walk around we're always thinking mm. our brain is always on we're always having distracted random thoughts of things or analyzing things or jumping to conclusions about things and so it's always kind of there humming under the surface and then occasionally it comes to the forefront when your brain sort of says to you hey what about this like do this and then you really have that conversation mostly you're just talking Talking to people, investigating, being a detective, trying to solve a murder, and then just kind of constantly under the surface, your brain is doing all these different things, depending on what stats you have and what kind of character you're playing. Mm. Okay. Um, it seems like a very original, different system for that kind of mm -hmm. game that we've never really seen before. So Yeah, it's very ambitious. I think they've been, the people making it have been working on it for 15 years, I believe. I saw <laughs> an article, which is kind of shows when you start playing it, like they've been trying to come up with a system for this because it feels a little, it feels kind of radical. It feels like a, like a radical game in some ways. Like they're really trying to just throw out the idea of what an RPG is. That sort of the Witcher fallout. Okay. This is how an RPG works. You just follow these rules and you get what it is and do something completely different, which is one reason it's hard to explain. You know, if I were explaining it, and it was like the witcher like horizon zero dawn i could say yeah. oh well, you know it's kind of got a little bit of witcher a little bit of ubisoft game a little yeah. bit of assassin's creed you get it this game is a lot harder because it's like well it kind of reminds me of planescape it kind of reminds me of a point and click adventure game but it's not actually you know it's its own thing it's this new thing which is exciting to play yeah. in 2019 when there aren't always <laughs> that many new things to play Very interesting. Um, so that's Disco Elysium and uh, all yeah. the games that we discussed will be in the show notes if you're interested in trying them out. Um, a few additional bits. The There was some uh, news around the PlayStation 5, including the fact that it will indeed be called, be named PlayStation 5. Definitely um, the most exciting news was that it will be called the PlayStation <laughs> you 5. Know, I know a lot of people make fun of this and it's like, oh, of course, what is it? But you don't know. And it is still. No, no, I, I'm, I'm not fully kidding. I kind of mean okay. that. I enjoy, I always enjoy finding <laughs> out what the names are going to be. I'm very curious what they're going to call the next Xbox. PS5 is a little less surprising, mm -hmm. but Xbox, mm, yeah. Maybe the Xbox 2? What are they going to call it? <laughs> Xbox, uh, yeah. I think it's going to be Xbox. My money mm -hmm. is on Xbox. Just mm -hmm. Xbox is the thing. Uh, but yeah, so. surprise me. PlayStation 5 will have a bunch of little things that weren't all that surprising. Let's focus on the one that was uh, at least a little bit interesting. The controller will have adaptive triggers and haptic feedback, <laughs> which the uh, reporter at Wired that had the uh, exclusive felt 
thought was very convincing, which I don't think I would have um, gave this another thought and thought it would have been gimmicky if the reporter wasn't uh, uh, saying, actually, it works. It gives you a f different feeling when you're in a, you know, playing a, a racing game and you're, the car is over um, asphalt or when it's in the mud and stuff like that. So the idea would mm -hmm. be that there is some kind of tension that's created within the trigger so that it's harder to pull or to, to um, uh, keep pressing if you're using a bow it will be harder to pull the 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 arrow it's simulating it like that i think there's something interesting there i don't think it's gonna you know change the entire experience but um could could be fun could be cool uh, it seems like the kind of thing that might um malfunction very easily and um there's also sort of the question of uh, like whether everyone will use this or this will just be like a PS5 exclusive thing. This is something Microsoft ran into with their, you know, the trigger rumble on the Xbox. Like people do that for Xbox games, but there there aren't that many um, there aren't that many games outside of the world of Xbox that use it. And so it feels like maybe it'll be a cool thing on the occasional PS5 exclusive, but less, uh, you know, not a ubiquitous mm. thing. Unless maybe Xbox does the same or something similar with their controller, and then it could become more universal, which would be cool. Maybe, yeah, that that could be something I uh, I would enjoy. Um, I mean, if they make it easy enough to adapt it to, it could I I. It's not like, um, I don't know, a, a you know, the Kinect, right? Because Kinect, you have to actually design <laughs> right, for right. it with that in mind. But if it's easy enough to say, well, for this type of weapon, you have this type of tension that's created, it, mm -hmm. it feels like something that could be included into existing games more easily than some of those other gimmicky things like even, you know, motion control or... Oh yeah, little, for sure, for um, sure. Yeah, and I love this kind of stuff. Like I love, I love haptic yeah. stuff in controllers. So mm. it sounds like it's probably pretty neat. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how it works. I guess it will be released holiday 2020 as we expected. Um, there are a couple of conflicting reports slash rumors. Uh, one says essentially Sony has been saying. Uh, backwards compatibility is not guaranteed, uh, like not a hundred percent, which is like, wait, what? I, I personally, I think it means like some functionalities on some games is not guaranteed to work. Mm -hmm. I think backwards compatibility is still pretty much a, a given. And the other thing is, it seems it might be backwards compatible with every generation of PlayStation One. That's a little bit more of, of sorry, of PlayStation since PlayStation One. That's a bit more of a rumor, but it could be interesting, especially if they're, um, well, I mean, yeah. It, could be cool. I yeah, that would be but... nice. That would surprise me given that PlayStation Now, I mean, maybe PlayStation Now isn't working for them and they don't want to do that anymore. But given that they have this subscription service to let you play those old games, if they then kind of also, it just seems like it might kind of eat into that, into the people using that service. Well, but, oh, go ahead. No, I mean, if they allow you to install the games, because with PlayStation Now, it's streaming, but you can also insta install PS4 games. So if they say, well, PlayStation Now, we have, you know, old generations, you can stream them or uh, install them. And uh, so you have a choice and do whatever oh, you want. I see. Yeah, yeah, it could work. And also, I mean, it would be great. I'd love that. And mm. I would be pretty surprised if you can at least play PS4 games, particularly given that the PS4 is the first console where you've been able to buy every single game digitally and mm. download it that way. Like, if you can't just download your PS4 games to a PS5 and play <laughs> them, the the anger over that would be so significant, and I would be I would be shocked if that weren't the case. I think what you're saying that maybe there will be some things that won't work or some small features that might carry over the occasional odd game that might have a problem. That seems more likely to me, 
you never know. I mean, Sony has done yeah. stupid things in the past, so they could do something <laughs> stupid here too. But that would I would find that very surprising. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking like maybe the touchpad, they the new controller doesn't have one, so you would have to have right. There's some other or mm -hmm. something like the the PlayStation Eye. Is it the camera? Oh, yeah, stupid little thing. But um, yeah, so we'll see more info. I did find it interesting that they uh, dumped all of this info now. I guess they well, it must be because uh, developers must be receiving the controllers through the dev kits, so they want to mm -hmm. control the information. But also, it might be because they have they want to focus on the the games when they finally open the uh, floodgates. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't really know why they would have done it, but. Seems like yeah. they've made the calculation and they made the they made the announcement. Yeah, I think it's all about controlling the message and not having makes you know, sense the thing right. Like Kotaku scooping them on and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> posting all the stats or specs on the thing. Um, uh, I got my Oculus Quest last week, and uh, oh man, I don't is, have one. What do you, what? How is it? It is a lot cooler than I thought it would be. Um, That's I have about what I've heard. I've had a few, uh, a couple of uh, virtual reality headsets, the PlayStation VR and the Oculus Go, which was very disappointing. Uh, but the Oculus Quest works really well. It's a little bit heavy. Um, mm -hmm. it, it gets, uh, you know, not huge amounts of battery life, like a couple of hours, three hours. But the, the, everything else about it from the design, like not the infrastructure, but experience point of view is incredible. You design your um, safe area very easily. The games just, you know, the, the, the graphical capability of the device aren't stellar, but they are more than enough to give you a, a convincing experience. Mm -hmm. The touch controllers, which is what was, you know, the, the six axis uh, thing is what was missing from the Oculus Go. And the feeling of presence is so dependent on having your hands that you can see within the world and being able to move your head around. And it works so well with, with this thing. Um, mm -hmm. It's still a little bit pricey, I feel. But if you can connect it to um, the PC and it works with the announced, you know, link uh, functionality so that you can also use it to play Rift games, um, I think it will be... A, a great way for people who are interested in VR to give it a try with no reservations. I think we're at yeah. a point where it actually is compelling. There aren't enough games or experiences so that I can recommend it to people who aren't interested to begin with. But if you are, really, really compelling. It's very smart that they've made a system that now works both as a plugged-in Rift and as an on-the-go device, only because that turns everyone who owns one into a potential, you know, demo operator for <laughs> VR. You know, you can bring one to a party, and then it's just so much easier to bust it out in the living room while everyone's over and say, hey, who wants to play Super Hot? And then everyone's suddenly playing this really cool VR game and finally gets to see the real thing. Like you said, the hand controls. I remember reviewing the Oculus Touch when those controllers came out and saying, mm. oh, okay, this is the real thing. Like, this is yeah. the VR experience that Oculus has been working on this whole time, not just the Rift headset. And that's so 
that's definitely true. If you give people who've never played a VR game that at a party in the living room and let them play for five minutes, they'll probably walk away with a much more positive view of VR, which seems to me to be what Oculus's challenge and also they, their goal. Like they've identified that as the challenge. Most people see VR and think, I don't know, man, I, I can't buy that. I don't have time to play that. So that is a smart move on their part. And then also, just like you said, I like I have a Rift here, but I don't use it that much. And it's kind of a pain to set up and, you know, like having being able to just put one on anywhere, draw boundaries and then play something like that's that seems nice as a player. It just that seems much more convenient. Yeah. So that's cool. That's cool to hear that it's good. Definitely. And and what's impressive is the know-how that Oculus has acquired through, you know, years now of, of trying to do that. And it works flawlessly. The, the experience yeah, they're very is good. really, really uh, well designed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say we're still like a third of the weight, a third of the price, a third of the yeah. uh, ease of use away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not uh, the finished thing yet. Yeah. Whatever that thing is going to be, the device that everybody gets, not even close. Like it's yeah. just, it's another, but it is an important step. This step yeah, that they've yeah, taken is, is a cool one. And I hope it were the, the link thing works really well. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so too. That's, that's mm. a very cool feature. Um, I got into uh, GOG Galaxy 2.0, which I think is under NDA, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Oh, okay, don't break any um, NDAs here. <laughs> uh, I will just mention that it does the principal uh, function that it promises really well. Like having This is, it unifies all of your PC games in one place, right? That's the idea. Not just PC, that's the thing. It does PS4. You connect all of your accounts, including PlayStation, huh. Xbox, Ubisoft, like all of them. Uh, okay. Uh, not Nintendo, I guess. Um, of course, then you Nintendo have a... had to be their own thing. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. But then you have a giant library of you know how however many games you have, and you can filter mm-hmm. them, search through them. Like I realized, mm-hmm. I had some games three times <laughs> that I didn't re- on different <laughs> platforms. Like oh, that's it's funny. Really compelling. Um, yeah, Nintendo yeah. wouldn't want to do it because then you would be reminded constantly how many times you'd bought Earthbound. <laughs> <laughs> or how few games you have on Nintendo platforms. Right, right, they right. Do, maybe. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool, but we'll talk about it more when it's uh, not under, I'm sure it's not under NDA. And a, nice. a quick, Interesting. <laughs> quick um, uh, uh, rapid round, quick round of uh, additional games, uh, news Stadia has a launch date. It was the most tame announcement I've ever seen for something like that. It's there. Stadia's, but that's been Stadia's MO this whole time. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it just confirms to me the idea, my idea that, well, everyone's idea, that this is not a launch. It's a beta that you have to pay for to be a part of. And the real launch will be when it will, will be available free for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm that will happen very sense. just remotely curious about Stadia. We'll see how it goes, but I'm not probably going to yeah. be using it. You know, so uh, the date is November 19th, um, but I've, I, in Paris, we have a, a company called Shadow. Maybe you've heard of them. I think they mm-hmm. came to uh, the U.S. recently. They essentially give you a P- remote PC, an actual PC that's running that they beam the, the they stream the video to you and you control it with, you know, your keyboard and mouse and you have apps on other devices mm-hmm. or and. And I constantly have been trying it out every time I'm in Paris every few months. And I did it yesterday. And oh, my God, it's so good. It's so good now. Hmm. It, like the, the latency, I swear to you, is not noticeable. Like 
of course I have fiber, um, but I have like a four right. milliseconds uh, uh, latency to the shadow servers. And I played Overwatch, of course, and they have like a 30 milliseconds uh, latency to the Overwatch servers. So the total, let's say 35, is less than I get when I connect to the Overwatch servers. Huh. Um, nice. It's, it is really, there are other issues. It's not for everyone, blah, blah, blah. But the latency, which is the main issue we talk about when right. we think the about concerns. these things, I swear, people who, who think it doesn't work are people who haven't tried it properly. And this is a small, well, it's a startup in France that it, that's existed for a few years. When right. Google and not Microsoft Google. <laughs> are going to be doing it, it's going to yeah. work a lot better. So That's cool. Yeah, I'd love it if it was great. I think that would be a great twist yeah. on the story is all this skepticism is unfounded and Stadia <laughs> turns out to be amazing. Well, I don't think it's going to replace your PS4 or 5. It's just going to be the thing, not Stadia itself, mm -hmm. but streaming as a technology. You have a PS5, you want to try an Xbox game. Well, you don't have to buy an Xbox, right? That kind of thing. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Um, Fortnite did, like, they continue breaking <laughs> all of the rules. Like, they took the game down for two days. I'm sure it was masking some kind of server upgrade or something. But it was so clever. The game was inaccessible. The game was sucked into a black hole. And you couldn't play it. And then it comes back with a new map and new functions. And you, like, it's funny. I was talking to a friend who has nine-year-old twins. And they were talking to him. And they were like, oh, uh, Fortnite is finished. Uh, I guess we have to find another game it's to over. play. Because it's over. Oh, well, that's it. Black <laughs> yeah, Hole 8 Fortnite. Game over. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, the, the ingenuity and the, the cleverness of Epic on this is on this game is, is continued to blow me away. It's like, yeah. who takes a game down for two days and builds an nah, event The person it? in first, right? It's nice to be on top because you can do stuff uh -huh. like that. And it's cool when someone takes advantage of their position on top to do something like that because they know they can. Um, yeah. that's, that's been my main takeaway. But yeah, I think it's pretty neat, too. Um, Miss Marvel was announced for Marvel's The Avenger game oh, uh, that's yeah. coming out in May. Mm -hmm. I, I well, it's very minor, but I did want to mention it because first, I love Miss Marvel, and she was uh, uh, represented very well in the game, and her powers are weird. She like uh, and begins her limbs and herself. It's very strange, but it worked. It seemed to work in the game. But beyond that, uh, this game has been criticized because the uh, models of the characters look like the stunt doubles of the actual actors from the MCU. Right, right. Um, and I think that's a fair criticism, of course. But Miss Marvel, who hasn't been portrayed in real life, in live action by anyone, is perfectly fine in the game. And we see her and she seems like, you know, Kamala Khan. So I think mm -hmm. there is a little bit of that everyone else will be fine and maybe we'll even get used to the um characters we know from the mcu but uh miss marvel is really cool in that game yeah i had the same that same thought of basically oh it's cool to see a character in this game that i don't have all these associations with even though i'm with you that i think probably assuming the game is really good if we play 30 hours of it we'll get used to this version of iron man and this version of black mm -hmm. widow etc but yeah agree i don't know miss marvel super well as a comic character but she looks really cool and it was it was neat to see as something new kind of that doesn't feel like one of the movies yeah yeah uh, iron man vr is coming in february and people are apparently saying it's good so hmm. I'm looking forward to that. I'm a Marvel fan, if you haven't nice, realized. Nice, nice. 
Uh, Doom Eternal delayed to 2020, not only that, uh, March 2020, um, at like a month before its release, not only that, but they're pushing some of the features from the game uh, away from the release, so I think they need a bit more time to, to polish it, and it's good that they're taking that time. Um, but yeah, maybe the release date was a bit ambitious. I think it was um, Rami Ismail, the developer on Twitter, said rip and tear, but not crunch, apparently, <laughs> which I thought was a Oh, that's idea. I didn't see that. That's very cool. Um, that's a good joke. So maybe the, 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 no, but it's interesting. It means that, you know, crunch is part of that conversation and they decided we to We can not assume crunch so to, anyway, yeah. yeah. I mean, the game probably wasn't ready to, but hopefully more and more developers are also saying, and we don't want to kill our employees to get this thing <laughs> done on time. I guess, you know, if they, they knew where they stood four or five months ago, they could have crunched to meet the date, but maybe they decided mm -hmm. we're speculating here, but yeah, it could be cool. You uh, right, and really know. Yeah. Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming to PC. Not a big surprise since we have the uh, Rockstar launcher, but uh, we saw a video and oh my God, that this, does this game look good? <laughs> it already looked good yeah. everywhere else, but... Uh, yeah, I think back to when GTA 5 hit PC and that game also just looked completely bonkers. Yeah. And yeah, I uh, liked Red Dead 2 and will play it again on PC. I think it's, you know, I've been oh, looking really? forward to playing it at a very high frame rate and looking very smooth and very good. And actually like taking my time. I think when I was reviewing this, because <laughs> I was reviewing that game and that was a whole thing. My review was a whole thing. And I, I mean, I have mixed feelings on the game for sure, but I, I really thought it was impressive and pretty pretty cool for the most part and playing through it for review was you know i had to kind of keep going and so mm. there were things i missed and i i didn't rush by any stretch i played like 70 hours or something but it'll be nice to play it again i always say that it's better like the second time through a game is always better mm. and um it's so cool to play this kind of a game where you can just take your time really sink into the role and into the world i know what happens i don't need to get to the end i can just play <laughs> and go really slowly and just do side stuff and explore because that's the richness of the game i think is really there so i'm i'm really looking forward to playing it on pc well i would argue that uh taking your time in this game is not really a choice uh they make you take your <laughs> that's time. true it does <laughs> confound you when you try to rush through it i guess that's why i didn't rush though i, mm. I just skipped some side stuff you know and like didn't right. do every single yeah. little icon on the map and i will probably mm. do that this time through very cool. Uh, there's a bunch of other things I think we're going to uh, skip through. Some st streaming so much news, stuff too much on news. Steam and uh, xCloud is available. And uh, there's some cool um, toxicity blocking stuff on the Xbox platform, which seems to be uh, very cleverly implemented. Um, and uh, Call of Duty Mobile has 100 million downloads without China mm. within the first week. Kind of incredible. It's the biggest downloads ever yeah people and, like uh, call of duty <laughs> <laughs> people you know you wouldn't have guessed. although uh, the f impressions i haven't played it myself but people are saying people who enjoy it on pc are saying it's pretty good mm -hmm. on mobile as well mm -hmm. which i would never have thought yeah um, i've seen some positive some positive impressions of it yeah and there's a, a fake game boy coming out the um what's it called uh oh, i can't remember mm, yeah i can't remember it's neat looking the though. analog something uh analog pocket analog something um yeah it looks cool i i'm not into retro stuff so it's not my job yeah like i, I don't need you. to replay game boy games <laughs> i'm good but it's a neat looking little little device and that is it for this episode of pixels uh thank you very much kirk for being on with me um where can people find you and what you do on the internet 
Well, um, they can find me on Twitter at Kirk, K-I-R-K, Hamilton. They can find Strong Songs, my music podcast, at strongsongspodcast.com. And it's on Apple and, you know, it's on a bunch of podcast services. <laughs> and Kotaku Split Screen is at kotaku.com. And that's also on most major podcast services. So that's me. And, yeah, thanks for having me, man. This was a pleasure. Yeah, indeed. I'm very glad. I now have two of the three uh, co-hosts of uh, mm, all right you're almost screen. there <laughs> almost. Nice, nice my collection is almost complete um <laughs> for me it's not patrick on twitter facebook and instagram and you can find this show at frenchspin.com and there's another one over there you might enjoy called the phileas club where we get people from different countries of the world to get together and talk about events and uh give us their take from their culture about uh, those things and we even talk to people we disagree with. Like last episode, we had people from the UK, uh, Scotland, Ireland, and the UK, and there was a Brexiter in there, and we had a civil, mm -hmm. interesting conversation. So uh, Imagine that in yeah, 2019. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Frenchspin.com for all of that. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, next episode, I think, might be the BlizzCon special, which will be its own uh, uh, shade of interesting as well. But uh, we'll be there, and we'll report. And it will be fun in parts. Talk to you then. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>